right, uh, hot on the heels of the slam that was heard around the world. I'm talking about the Stars and Stripes Challenge this past weekend in New York City. The ground is still shaking around here, and it may well be doing that for quite some time to come. Joining me this week, one of the really promising young men, one of the young stars of the World Wrestling Federation. You know him well, Marty Jannetty. At one time, you were a rocker, along with Shawn Michaels. Now, all of a sudden... You have gone your own separate ways. Shawn Michaels does have something you want, though, Marty, and that's the Intercontinental title. Well, it's something I had before. And since being Intercontinental Champion here, you know, Mean Gene, I got a lot of people in the World Wrestling Federation gunning after me. A lot of the big guys using me now are wanting to use me as a stepping stone for beating a former champion put you right up there at the top. But I tell you what, I'm going to keep rocking and rolling, strutting and strolling, slamming and jamming. You know, Mr. Michaels, you think it's all been said and done, it's all forgotten about, but you're wrong. Just because you got that cool glass of water coming ringside with you, I'll tell you what, I'm going to figure out a way, just like I did before, I figured out a way to become the Intercontinental Champion by beating you. I'll figure out a way to get around this diesel guy you got with you, and I will become the champion again. You know, uh, Michael says this guy is nothing more than a bodyguard to keep fans and so forth away from him, but is it an ironic that he brings oh, this he, man, Diesel, down to ringside with him for every title defense? His, his only fans is his family. He don't have to get a bodyguard to keep them away. Why does the Intercontinental Champion of the World Wrestling Federation need a bodyguard? Can he take care of himself? Now, I don't think so. We've proven that time and time again, and we're going to do it one more time. I thank you very much. Marty Jannetty is going to be meeting Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title. That match would be worth the price of admission alone. Hey, speaking of titles, standing by right now are the current reigning World Wrestling Federation Tag Team title holders, Rick and Scott, the Steiner brothers. Guys, just before we went on the air this week, I talked to Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister. And guys, I don't have to tell you that Money Incorporated wants those titles back. Yeah, Gene, you know, I've said it before. My brother and I are, are building a reputation. We're not relying on one. The door is always open. We signed an open contract. They can come down anytime and walk through and take their punishment. You know, you take a look at Money Incorporated. Of course, they held the titles for a goodly amount of time here in the World Wrestling Federation. And I guess in the estimation of the matchmakers and a lot of the talent in the WWF, they are worthy of a shot at your titles. That's right, they are worthy. But champions come and champions go. And we're the champions now and we're going to stay champions. I said all along that Ted DiBiase, Erwin I. Scheister, I'll match my wrestling skills against yours any day. See, you guys need a reality check because you guys got beat by a better team. All right, the Steiner Brothers, always willing to accommodate any and all comers. Those comers include Money Incorporated. Another hot day over at One Man's Meat Towers, ladies and gentlemen, and Acceptable in the 90s is here to bring the ferocious heat. Welcome to episode 52. We have big title matches, big debuts, and 440 millilitres of ice cold goodness as we go straight to Big Meaty Cool's craft beer review. And as mentioned last time, this is the last of the Big Meaty Cool Holiday Edition Buxton Brewery series, as we have, in a nice surprise for you guys, a Gatekeeper Porter. 
I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone a little bit this week because it's normally all about the pale ales and very little else. But as the nights are going to start drawing in soon, it's about time to find something a little bit more warming. And there's an air of mystery to this party this week as normally Buxton put a full description of what the beer is going to be like on the side of the can. But all it says here is that it's a deep, dark porter to evoke a sense of mystery. And then they challenge you to challenge the gatekeeper. So, a little bit in the dark there. But I have given it a pour. And it's everything that I like in a porter in that it absolutely stinks. But kind of getting notes of roasted coffee. A little bit of a vanilla-y sort of take as well. Um, weirdly, it's a little bit carbonated, which seems a touch odd for me with my porters, but I'm a little bit sheltered when it comes to them. I, I, I do like a porter, but I've only really had one or two that I have stuck to, so this is a new one for me. So my porters are normally a little bit smoother than this. Got a little bit of a head, so let's get the waffling over and done with. Let the BPMs take over your very soul, folks as I'm going to give this a very satisfying quaff. Okay, so I can confirm that light carbonisation works really well. This is absolutely delicious. You can really detect that hint of coffee, even when the pot is cold, yes. I am a Philistine, I like all my beers cold as I keep saying, so this has been in the fridge for a day or two. But it's absolutely lovely, there's a little bit of vanilla poking through. So it's very dark, it's very decadent. Yeah, I am going to enjoy this very much. And I know I'm a Philistine, ladies and gentlemen, but I do believe that more people should enjoy their porter cold. And what was also cold this week was a stone-cold classic of an episode of WWF Superstars as we pop into the past to Saturday. The July 10th, 1993 episode of WWF Superstars emanated from the Huntingdon Civic Centre in Huntingdon, West Virginia and was recorded on June the 15th, 1993. In action from the show, we open, of course, with hype of the recent Stars and Stripes challenge. Still nothing wrong with that yet, though. The smoking asses, Billy and Bartas, defeated Rock Warner and W.T. Jones with the revolver backdrop piledriver combo in 2 minutes and 22 seconds. I don't quite see how it's any more devastating than just giving your opponent a piledriver, but it looks cool. Kona Crush defeated Doink by Countout in a long 11 minutes and 30 seconds. There were multiple Doinks, but Crush's biggest weakness was being exposed in matches that aren't power versus speed. Both Matt Bourne and Steve Kane tried their best here, but Crush was massively out of his depth. The finish was really weak as well. Shawn Michaels with Diesel defeated Kevin Kruger with a super kick followed by a pile driver in 3 minutes and 8 seconds. The debuting men on a mission defeated Chad Miller and Mitch Bishop with an incredibly cool slash incredibly dangerous looking front suplex flying leg drop combo. 
the crowd were absolutely dead, but this is West Virginia, where the smoking asses ruled okay. Prepare yourself for a ton of white, nerdy New Yorkers getting their hip-hop on to these two over the coming weeks. And Oscars got bars. As segments go, I've highlighted the big tag title rematch for next week, and we've also got the first of our SummerSlam reports. The city of Detroit has always embraced the World Wrestling Federation. In 1987, it was WrestleMania 3. 1991 saw the Survivor Series. And now, in 1993, the Motor City will host SummerSlam. Monday night, August 30th, at the Palace in Auburn Hills. Royalty will be on the line at SummerSlam when the self-proclaimed king of the World Wrestling Federation, Jerry Lawler, takes on the King of the Ring winner, Bret the Hitman Hart. I'm sure you all recall at the King of the Ring, after undoubtedly the most grueling night in Bret Hart's career, at his crowning moment, his coronation was ruined by a blindsided attack by Jerry Lawler. Standing by right now, Bret Hart. Lawler, you wanted a big fight. You wanted to start a fight with the Hitman. You wanted to start a war? Well, you did, because you started a fire underneath the Hitman that only I can put out. You started something that I'm going to finish, and I can promise you one thing. You may have ruined one of the most important moments of my career. You may have ruined the King of the Ring coronation. You may have jumped me and beat me like a dog, but I can promise you one thing. I can promise you when you step in the ring with the Hitman at the SummerSlam, you'll be facing a totally different breed of cat. I am going to wipe you out. I am going to destroy you, Jerry Lawler, and I can promise you I am going to take you to the gallows and you will be excellently executed. Boy, oh boy, Jerry Lawler had better watch out. And we'd better watch out for the news as we go over the major happenings on this day in history on Monday, July the 12th, 1993. A 7.8 Richter scale earthquake hits Hokkaido, Japan, killing 160 people. Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Sunset Boulevard, based on Billy Wilder's 1950 film, starring Patti Lapone and Michael Benzali, opens at the Adelphi Theatre in London. Talk radio host Don Emus begins broadcasting to Boston on WEEI 590AM. I wonder if Rob the Knob Bartlett wormed his way back in. In the US pop charts, SWV was still feeling weak at the top spot, while in the UK... There was a new number one, as Take That started making that peak position their own with Prey. At the box office, The Firm was still at the top of the US chart, while Sylvester Stallone's cliffhanger was in its second week at the top of the UK box office. The July 12, 1993 episode of WWF Monday Night Raw emanated from the Manhattan Centre in Manhattan, New York, and was taped on July the 5th, 1993, 
Commentary was covered as usual by Vince McMahon, the Macho Man Randy Savage, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Welcome everyone to Monday Night Raw. Vince McMahon here along with the Macho Man Randy Savage and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And the ceremony has begun. And take a look who's headed to the ring. The reigning World Wrestling Federation Champion, 550 pounds plus of Yokozuna. And Macho Man Yokozuna was embarrassed on July 4, America's birthday by Lex Luger. Absolutely, it was the body slam heard around the world. You're wrong, Savage. That was a cheap shot. Heard around the world. Luger came from out of nowhere. Cheap shot of Yokozuna with that hundred pounds of iron and steel he's got in his arm. That was the hip lock heard around oh, the world. Please. Luger subsequently denied the title shot at Yokozuna. Nonetheless, the that. title's on the line. This Look at week that. Against Crush. What was the explanation for that? You're looking at a nasty, angry, mean Yokozuna. First match of the evening is a chance for a big meaty cool favourite to score a major upset as the original Hawaiian punch Kona Crush gets a chance to take the WWF World Heavyweight title from Yokozuna. The crowd are giving off proper third man vibes here, singing the last lines of the Star Spangled Banner and pumping themselves up with USA chants. Crush and Yoko shove each other after locking up then Crush fires away until walking into a slam. Crush avoids an elbow drop though and then boots Yokozuna in the face as that sends him through the ropes. Yokozuna returns and they trade shots and then Crush hits an avalanche in the corner but fails on his second attempt. Yokozuna catches his breath after hitting a double chop then drops Crush throat first across the ropes. Yokozuna punches Crush through the ropes then brings him back in and chops him down. Yokozuna now works a chin lock before we go to break, then the action returns with Yokozuna beating on Crush. Yokozuna now works a nerve hold as the announcers talk about all of the doinks that were shown this past Saturday on Superstars. Yokozuna misses an avalanche, then Crush fires away and even busts out a standing drop kick. Crush drops Yokozuna with a clothesline, then heads up top for a shoulder block as that only gets two. Crush heads up again, but Fuji whacks him with the flag as Heenan claims Crush lost his footing and slipped. Yokozuna slams Crush on the floor and then rolls him back inside. Yoko then hits a belly-to-belly -belly suplex and follows with a leg drop as Savage proclaims he's seen car wrecks that were not this bad. Yokozuna drags Crush into the corner and hits the bonsai drop for the win in a symmetrical 11 minutes and 11 seconds. 
After the match, we see Yokozuna hit a pair of bonsai drops before Tatanka runs out for the save, but Yokozuna knocks him off the apron. Yokozuna then hits another bonsai drop before dispensing of several enhancement talents that run out to help. Vince warns Savage not to get involved as he has that look in his eye, then Savage drags Crush to safety before grabbing a chair, but he's backed off by the referee. Heenan blames Lex Luger for creating a monster in Yokozuna as the medics come out with a stretcher. So, the big story of the match is that Lex Luger has gotten into Yokozuna's head by slamming him, awakening a monster. The match itself wasn't great, as Crush does his best work with a more athletic opponent, but it told a good story regarding Yokozuna and Luger, and an injury angle gives Crush a chance to rest up and come back fresher. There's also the hint that Savage and Yokozuna might have a match after this. Hopefully... WF. Unfortunately, Crush suffering the result 
of, as you called it, a new Yokozuna. We'll be right back. Ah, shut up. Got him. Oh, oh, now come on, help him. Unfortunately, they're they're taking Crush. Taking Crush back for help, and he's going to need a lot of help. I've never seen any competitor withstand that kind of punishment, Bobby Heenan. That has to to make someone like you even revolt. Well, it could be a lot worse. It could be me. But his left leg, I notice, is not moving. And Lex Luger, I hope you're watching. Because when Yokozuna's done with you, both your legs won't move, your arms won't move, and your whole body won't move, because you'll be in a body cast. He just sent a message a to the world. You're blaming Lex Luger for what happened to Crush? Yes, yes, because this is a new Yokozuna. He threw away the flowers. He didn't talk to anybody. He was pacing like a bull elephant. This man is intense. This man is dangerous. Dangerous with a capital Z. Well, folks, maybe some prophetic words from Bobby the Brain Heenan there, folks. He may be a gobshite, but even a stopped clock is right twice a day. Yokozuna looked fucking pissed off there, fans. I wouldn't want to be the guy that crosses him again, right? Back to you, big meaty cool. Thank you, Daniel. Didn't know you were going to be in this week. Watch your language. Once the chaos is over, we get hot tag team action as the Head Shrinkers bring their wild and tame savagery to Aaron Ferguson and PJ Walker. The Head Shrinkers attack their opponents to start. Ferguson gets dumped and then Walker nearly breaks his neck after receiving a double pancake. Samu then drills Walker, who the announcers keep referring to as Ferguson, with a clothesline before dragging Walker over to his partner for the tag. Fatu drops Ferguson with a clothesline as Heenan keeps making Weekend at Bernie's references with regards to Walker still lying on the apron. Somebody watched that triple bill a couple of weeks back. Vince promises we'll get an update on Crush as the head shrinkers destroy Ferguson before Fatu hits a flying splash for the win in 3 minutes and 23 seconds. A good squash here with Walker standing out in particular but commentary will focus too much on Crush's condition to add anything about this match. The Head Shrinkers could do with a feud, and soon. Marty Jannetty, he had a taste of what it's like to be a champion, and then lost it to the man he defeated. Now, he wants it back. Shawn Michaels, he's cocky, he's arrogant, and he's the Intercontinental Champion. He lost the title once and he's not about to lose it again. It's a rematch for the Intercontinental Belt. Marty Jannetty versus Shawn Michaels, next week on Monday Night Raw. So two contenders for 1993's Best Bout Machine are going to be squaring off next week, you say? Lovely stuff. Our next match sees a welcome return to two men who've been off Raw for the past few weeks as the Native American Tatanka squares off with the Brooklyn Brawler. Vince once again mentions how Yokozuna is undefeated, which isn't exactly true, but why let the truth get in the way of not mentioning your orange former friend? Brawler taunts the fans and then locks up with Tatanka as they end up in the corner. Savage then gives an update on Crush and how it's not good, as Crush is having difficulty breathing and talks about being worried for his friend. Heenan then tells Savage to blame Luger for this, but Savage yells, Don't switch the heat! I love that line. 
Brawler slaps Tatanka and then bails and he's chased back into the ring but gets caught with a power slam. Tatanka works the arm now but Brawler comes back with a clothesline. Brawler then uses a reverse neckbreaker as Heenan accuses Tatanka of making moves on Luna Vachon. Tatanka misses a charge then Brawler uses another clothesline. Brawler takes off his shirt and uses it to choke out Tatanka before applying a chin lock. Brawler mocks the crowd and then Tatanka as he stays in control but Tatanka fights back. Tatanka runs wild and hits a flying chop before using the Samoan drop for the win in 7 minutes and 14 seconds. On the one hand, this match was far too long. But on the other hand, this match was far too long. The main focus was on Crush and Savage's friendship, which is some nice foreshadowing for the future with these two. It was hot outside earlier today. We had an occasion to chat with some of the individuals outside the Manhattan Center. They had some very interesting comments. Lex Luger is the only one that was able to body Sonny Milk doing it. He definitely deserves a title shot and fight for the honor of the USA and pin a 1 2 3. Lex Slam Yokozuna, he should get a shot at the title. Lex Luger, he came in for our country when we needed him. When no other American athlete could slam Yokozuna, he came in for his country and he helped our country when we needed it the most. Lex Luger definitely deserves a title shot and when he beats Yokozuna 1-2-3, American will have its second celebration. It's first when they picked up Yokozuna and when Lex gets his title that he deserves. I think Lex Luger should be able to fight Yokozuna for the WWF title. Mr. Hughes and Harvey Whippleman are out next to add the corpse of Tony DeVito to the ashes of The Undertaker's stolen urn. We see someone walk a wreath to ringside with a tag that reads, Rest in Peace. The announcers make more jokes about Basil DeVito as Hughes takes control. Hughes whips DeVito into the corner, then follows with a falling headbutt, but pulls up after a two count. Hughes busts out a dropkick, then yells into the camera about Undertaker going down, and after that uses a sidewalk slam for the win in 2 minutes and 15 seconds. After the match, Hughes tosses DeVito outside, then takes a look at the wreath, and sees that it's from The Undertaker. I mean, who else? <laughs> Goodness me. Hughes then rips up the card and destroys the wreath, then tells Undertaker to come find him. He knows where you are, dickhead. He sent you a wreath. Anyway, it's about to get our Bauhaus up in here as the Undertaker mind game start. I'm really looking forward to this. The same SummerSlam report from Superstars is on next, so you have this instead, you lucky motherfunkers. Bye. 
team to ring your bell. We're on a mission. We're on a mission. We're on a mission. That's right. We're on a mission. Coming to Raw already. Those yahoos in West Virginia didn't know what they had. Or they did. Who knows. Adam Bomb comes out next with Johnny Polo for our main event of the evening as Scott Amati prepares himself for some pain. Savage is back with another update on Crush and says he might have permanent damage then warns Heenan about making comments as Crush is his friend. Bomb beats down Amati then tosses him across the ring. Bomb then hits a clothesline as the announcers plug Mania and All-American Wrestling. Still not watching them though. Amati gets tossed outside where Bomb slams him and Polo yells about total destruction. Back inside, Bomb hits a flying clothesline then uses the Atom Smasher Powerbomb for the win in 2 minutes and 39 seconds. Adam Bomb continues to be the king of the backdrop match again as commentary have spent the entire night talking about anything but the action in the ring and there'll be further stuff to take away from the wrestling action next week. Remember oh, Tiny Tim and Miss Vicky got married on the Tonight Show? You remember that? Oh, it was one of the highest rated shows in the history of television. But that was a mere wedding. That thing wasn't that important. Think when he shows up in the King's Court on Monday Night Raw. Jerry the King Lawler, I gotta take my hat off to you. You've done it again. Yeah. Tiny Tim, wow. Check it out, the ticket information to join us live right here at the Manhattan Center next Monday. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. New WWF figures give you the power of Hulkamania, the knockout Prince of Virgil, the audacity of IRS, and the madness of the Macho Man. Collect new WWF figures now. Sold separately. Dig it. You don't want to miss next week's Monday Night Raw. Returning to action, the one, two, three, Ken. And also the raw debut of In on a Mission. Yeah. And join the king in his court as he tiptoes to the tulips with the greatest entertainer alive today, Tiny Tim. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you don't want to miss the title. The Intercontinental Championship matchup, it was right here on Raw when Marty Jannetty took the title from Shawn Michaels in a previous encounter. Will lightning strike twice in the same place here on Raw? And now we go to my final thoughts. The action on Raw this week was decent enough, but to hear the commentary you wouldn't know, as the focus throughout the entire show was either Crush's health, Yokozuna's mind state, or what Lex Luger was going to do about Yokozuna. And I get it, they're building to a main event programme for SummerSlam, and they need to give Lex Luger a hard reset. But doing stuff like this isn't so bad if you have the likes of Kamala or Virgil still on the roster every week. But in the last month, more and more talents have had a debut on Superstars before going straight to Raw. In the golden days of syndication, Vince's new stars had weeks to get built upon Superstars or Wrestling Challenge so that it didn't matter if they were in backdrop matches, as fans knew everything about them. But with debuts to Raw being rushed now, guys are getting thrown out there in the hope that TV viewers take to them anyway which is asking a lot of the viewing public. Anyway, good episode, and hopefully something comes out of this crush injury angle.
match of the night is purely from a storyline perspective, but it goes to Crush versus Yokozuna. The match itself wasn't great, but there's a few storylines that this can branch into, such as Lex Luger being more fired up to beat Yokozuna for the belt, Savage aiming to get some revenge for his friend, or even Crush making a hero's return to dethrone Yokozuna himself. Time will tell. The star of the night goes to Crush as well. Now I'm not just saying this as a Crush apologist, because I know he's not the best. But he sold this beating that he took really convincingly. Back in the actual 90s, all I had was images from WWF magazine to document this moment for me. But even then, and even back in the mid-2000s when I eventually got to watch this episode for the first time, Crush was incredibly believable. He didn't get the credit he deserved for the talent he had. The highlight of the night is getting to see a consistent roster forming. Adam Bomb is on every week, the tag team division features regularly, if a talent isn't on that week they normally get mentioned regularly, and the storyline progression on the show only benefits from this. However, the low light of the night is the fact that commentary seem to forget that there's action to call in the ring. There's a lot of focus on storyline build, and that's great, but if you're wanting to build guys, talk about their matches while they're actually having them. Luckily, I had an episode of WCW Saturday Night to solve my fire. The July 10th edition of the show emanated from the Centre Stage Theatre in Atlanta, Georgia, taped on June the 22nd, 1993. In action from the show, Davey Boy Smith and Sting defeated Gary Nations and Rick Rogers when a Bulldog Vertical Suplex to Nations was followed up with a Sting top rope splash. I loved Sting ripping the mickey out of Rick Rogers for the start as well. Tony and Jesse hyped the Amateur Challenge, which is a chance for independent workers to take a promo to be broadcast on the show, with the winner apparently getting a chance to work for WCW. I'm sure this was where a young Matt Hardy got his first bit of TV exposure as well through one of these videos. The Hollywood Blondes then come out to rip on Roma and Anderson. Before the Beach Blast Event Centre highlights the NWA title match between Ric Flair and champion Barry Windham, with comments from Windham himself. We return to Cleveland with Catherine White, who brought fake wife and fake son to see Cactus Jack. I'll tack it on at the end, but the audio quality is almost as bad as the segment itself. Lord Stephen Regal defeated Johnny Gurn, one half of the former sexiest tag in WCW. But he was no match for the Regal role. Regal talks up his scientific technical credentials post-match. Teddy Long waffles on about searching for somebody to manage. Now in all honesty, I thought he was already managing Bagwell. But I guess you would keep looking, wouldn't you? Paul Orndorff appeared on Flair for the Gold to talk smack on Ron Simmons. Max Payne defeated Scotty McKeever with the Painkiller Armbar. Johnny B. Bad comes out next in a ridiculous looking mask, selling the facial injuries caused when Max Payne shot his muck at him. The tash is actually cut out of the mask. Brilliant. Dusty Rhodes talks about his feud with the Masked Assassin. He basically asks him to keep his family out of it. That's going to work, Dusty. Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio defeated TJ Maverick and Todd Zane when Bagwell landed a beautiful fisherman suplex. And in the main event, Paul Roma defeated Steve Austin 
when he rolled out of the way of an Austin Splash and delivered a roll-up. And with that, Tony announces that Beach Blast is only one week away, meaning that I have a busy week coming up. So Saturday will be a Superstars Saturday Night Spectacular, Sunday will be a review of Beach Blast, and Monday will be a standalone Raw. Aren't you lucky? Well, until Saturday then, folks, take care, spike your hair if you've got any, and stay beefy, Meat Siders! Alright fans, welcome back to Saturday Night. You know, over the past, I guess, five weeks or so, we've been following Catherine White in her attempt to locate Cactus Jack. No question she has found him. Last week, Dustin Rhodes couldn't snap him out of it, and she's going to go back to Cleveland this week once again to try to resurrect his memory, so to speak. Why is it not a surprise that Dustin Rhodes would fail? He's going to fail against Rick Rude, too. You're talking about the big event coming up at Beach Blast. We'll be talking yep. more about that, but right now, let's go to the streets of Cleveland once again and see if we can find out what's going on with Cactus Jack. Now, no matter what happens, just keep the camera rolling. I don't want that woman spiriting him away like she did before. This is Catherine White for WCW, approaching the... We have a little surprise for him that we think is finally going to jog his memory. You two okay? Okay, come on, Dewey, let's go find your daddy. Oh, no. They've gone. I don't think they're going to be that easy to find, either. I said you were learning. Bang Bang made a move. She's scared that you're going to talk sense back into Jack and he's going to leave her. Made everyone swear not to tell where the new camp is. Swampy, what happened to you? You mean this? I'm cleaning up my act a bit, I guess. I took old Jack up on his offer of some money. He said he didn't want me to buy booze. He said, if you give a man a fish, he can eat for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he can eat for a lifetime. You know, Jack, I thought about it. I went out and I bought some new clothes and I got a job. And now I call myself Wendell. Well, that's great, Wendell. I wish we were doing that good. Well, I can take it, Jack, now. You can? Yeah. But, but he helped you. Well, and I want to help him. See, it's Bang Bang that wants him to hide. See, right now, he thinks he wants what Bang Bang wants, but he's as lost as I was. See, you, to make decisions like he's got to make, you have to really know who you are. Come on, I'll, I'll take you to him. Ready? you go, Jenny. She's an old vessel, but she's seaworthy again. Should be clear sailing on that paper route of yours. Thanks. Yes, I knew you'd be back, and I knew you'd find us. You can surface now. No need for silent running. Don't worry about Bang Bang. She won't throw any depth charges here. You see, I've told her it's about time we had this thing out. Well, thank you. I, I brought somebody else to see you. Two people, actually. Colette, it's safe. Bring Dewey. Jack! Jack, we missed you! I'm sorry, but 
I don't know you. I wish I did. Jack, this is your son. This, this is your child to be. Jack, I'm your wife. Look, lady, I don't know who you are, but I am his woman now. I am home. As you have seen, Cactus Jack. This is Catherine White signing off.